Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. You're confident when it comes to your work and life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same confidence when it comes to refinancing your existing mortgage or buying a home. It lets you understand all the details so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. Go to rocketmortgage.com fool. I also want to thank Harry's for supporting The Motley Fool. Get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. Just go to harrys.com fool. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. How you doing, bro? Just great, Allison. Wonderful. Today, we're taking a closer look at the tech sector with the help of industry focuses, Dylan Lewis. Hey there, Dylan. How's it going? Great. We're also going to answer your question about the differences between share classes and look up some of the worst names in tech startup history. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. It's time for Answers, Answers. And today, we're actually going to tackle two questions, two very similar questions. One is from Kevin, and the other is from Andy. So Andy writes, what's the difference between a company's Class A stock versus Class C? I know different shares typically have different rights in a company, but how does that affect it as an investment? And then Kevin also wants to know, uh, for an investor who's not concerned about voting, is there any real difference, or is it beneficial to own both types of shares? Do they both increase or decrease at the same proportion? So Dylan is going to give us just a quick masterclass in the different types of share classes. That's a lot of pressure, but I'll try. Here we go. <laughs> um, so that second question really kind of answers the first question in a way. Um, the different share classes really just boil down to different shareholder rights. And if you want to think about a really high-profile example of a company with two different share classes to kind of help illustrate this a little bit, uh, look at Alphabet or Google, as many people know it. So the A shares trade under the ticker Google G O O G L, and the C shares trade under Goog G O O G. Uh, the A shares are slightly more expensive, and that's because they wield one vote, whereas the C shares are non-voting shares. So it really kind of comes down to your say as a shareholder uh, when it comes to votes and things like that. As an individual investor, I'm only going to be buying like a hundred shares so, of Google. Good for no, you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want. Okay, fine. I only, I only have like a share of Google. But the point is, okay, that makes it. That makes my point even more. That I'm only going to have one little lonely vote. So does it really matter? Not really, honestly. For me, like, like, no, it's okay. Yeah, the, the the easiest explanation here is it doesn't make much of a difference. Um, as you teed up, like if you only have a few shares, you're not going to be able to really do that much. But if you're a major institution and you have a sizable chunk of shares, um, having that voting say can be valuable, and that's why the voting shares command a slightly higher price. Um, as an individual investor, like I said, it doesn't matter all that much. Uh, if you look, there's generally a pretty consistent spread between A and C shares for most businesses. Uh, for Alphabet, for example, the C shares have typically traded at a two to three percent discount relative to the A shares. Um, so I would say, as long as you're seeing that spread hold consistent, it doesn't matter which one you buy. The caveat being, if you see that spread widen, it might be an opportunity to buy the C shares because they're trading at a larger discount uh, than the A shares. So, uh, there have been times where that spread has reached 5% or something like that, at which case, you know, it might make sense to buy the Cs instead. I did a little research on, on Berkshire, because I was curious if it was the same thing. So, you know, you have the A shares, which are now worth Two hundred fifty-three thousand like dollars yeah. each. Allison owns a hundred. That's right. Hey, hey, you know, whatever. You have the B shares, which are trading at one hundred sixty-nine dollars. So they're one one thousand five hundredth of the A shares. But the voting, you only have one. 
ten-thousandth of a vote with the B-shares. So they, you still have voting rights with the B-shares, but they're significantly watered down. Thanks to Harry's for sponsoring today's episode. By taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's offers their razor blades at half the price. Just $2 a blade compared to the $4 or more you'll pay at the drugstore. It's a great shave at a reasonable price. Right, men? And then here in my notes, I say, banter, banter, banter. So, yuck, 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 yuck. You're a guy. I'm a guy. We both talk, have facial hair. Talk about shaving for a moment. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Harry's, they've sponsored the show a couple times, mm-hmm. um, and they, they sponsored us about a year ago, and listeners of Answers may not be as familiar with me if they don't listen to Industry Focus, um, so they may not have seen the videos that we also put out with the podcast, but I am almost never clean-shaven. I, I, I have, a, what I'd say is like a, a healthy amount of scruff on my face. Is that, is that an accurate yeah, description? There's, there's more than scruff going on I, there. I wouldn't but. say you look homeless. Like I wouldn't say like you woke up, ne- you don't look like you woke up next to a dumpster. Mostly like, kempt. Yeah, that's. I think that's like the uh, the masthead, like just under fool.com. You don't look homeless. <laughs> um, but when they sponsored the show a year ago, we decided to kind of have a little fun, and I figured give give coworkers an opportunity to see what I look like without any facial hair, and so um, I auctioned off the configuration of my facial hair, um, and basically put a bounty of like three hundred dollars in gold. It, oh wow! Yeah. And said, if you guys raise 300 bucks, I will shave my face into whatever you want it to look like. I will keep it for three days. And so it was put to the power of the people. They voted. Uh, I think the finalists were just a goatee, uh, mutton chops, and then the, the monkey tail. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and if you're not familiar with the monkey tail, you can search it, um, or you can you can basically just take your finger and start at your ear and trace it down your chin, have it wrap around the far end of your mouth, and then have it go just over to the other side and stop. And it basically looks like an upside down question mark. And I on your it, face on my face. I sported that for three days, uh, and then went to my cousin's wedding with that. I, yeah, I greeted my family with it and then trimmed it off afterwards. Uh, uh, what kind of looks did you get on the on the street? The funny thing about it was, <laughs> from and we were talking about this before the show yeah. and, and we're kind of remembering this. Um, from one side, it looks like you have a goatee. From the other side, it looks like you have a mustache and a beard that don't quite connect. And then from the front, you look like a magician. Like, <laughs> like, like you just you look like a like a ridiculous person. And so it was only when an so, illusionist, Dylan, <laughs> an illusionist. I appreciate that Arrested Development uh, reference right there. Uh, so it was only when someone was looking dead on at me, which happened uh, at T- at TSA at the airport uh, several times, because uh, you know they they look you up and down and they you know look at your ID and everything. That's where I got some odd looks. But most people were only seeing it from one angle, so it wasn't mm-hmm. too bad. Yeah. But the shave itself, courtesy of Harry's razor. Was fantastic. Oh, it was a well-defined monkey tail. <laughs> yes. it, looked, it looked good. Nice. It required sculpting, really, to be able to do that. Yeah, clean a lines. Fine tool. So, thank you for bringing the banter banter that I put in my notes here. Harry's is so confident that you'll love their blades. They're giving you a free trial set. Just cover $3 for shipping. So, you can get that by going to harrys.com slash fool. That's harrys.com slash fool. Bye. 
Use it, break it, fix it, trash it, change it, mail, upgrade it, charge it, point it, zoom it, press it, snap it, work it, quick, erase it, write it, cut it, paste it, save it, load it, check it, quick, rewrite it, plug it, play it, burn it, rip it, drag and drop it, zip, unzip it. Alright, well he's been doing enough talking, so I guess I should probably tell you more about who he is. Dylan Lewis is in charge of the tech bureau here for Fool.com. Yeah. And you also host Friday's episode of Industry Focus, which focuses on The Tech Show. The tech, yeah. the tech sector. So we brought you on because it's your turn as a member of the industry focus team to help us dive into a sector, of course, being tech. But before we get into that, we always want to know, how did you come to be working at The Motley Fool? Well, uh, I was actually co-oping somewhere uh, while I was in school. So I went to Northeastern, which is a a co-op program school. So we have all these six-month work placements. And I was working uh, as an asset asset manager. And so it was um, kind of a fixed income fund shop, very traditional, very conservative. And um, I didn't really like it all that much. <laughs> and, and, and my boss at the time saw that I was kind of more interested in writing and kind of like the blend of finance and written work and said, hey, you know, I used to live in the DC area. There are a couple outlets you should check out. You should look at Kiplinger and you should look at The Motley Fool and consider applying to them after you graduate. And so um, I did. And, and being a finance major, journalism minor, I was somewhat well suited uh, yeah. to come join Fool's editorial team. And so I've been doing that for several years now. Actually, just coming up on my third Fool anniversary. Hey, ah, happy Fool anniversary! Yeah. Nice. I think, you, what do you get? A few hundred bucks? Uh, I'll, Should I I'll, not I'll spoil let you the know. surprise? Who knows? It's Enjoy, enjoy the surprise. Because <laughs> uh, everyone here at the Molly Fool, for our listeners who don't know, Every anniversary, we call it a fool-aversary that you've been working here, and you get a nice present from the company. Yeah, so it's very nice. I'm going to spend my $500 by going to In a Little Washington later this year. Nice. So wow. I know. Let I me know, know how that goes. Wow. I know. It's an institution here. It is. All right. Enough about me. So, let's get back to the tech sector for a moment, <laughs> shall we? Uh, what is the tech sector comprised of? Because I feel like, in this day and age, Every Everything company is, is a tech. tech company. Right. Well, a lot of companies are trying to position themselves as tech companies because, and part of that is the valuation that tech companies command because a lot of their businesses are so scalable, um, tends to be a lot higher than your conventional like brick and mortar business type uh, valuation. Um, but the tech sector really touches a lot of different things. You have kind of platform companies, uh, software as a service businesses, social media companies, and then you can kind of look over to the Consumer device side of things, where you have, you know, what you'd actually buy. So you know, there are companies that manufacture things like televisions or Fitbits or something like that. And then you have all of the component companies that go into those devices. And so there is kind of businesses within businesses on the manufacturing side and the semiconductor side, um, which is to say that there are times where the tech sector can be very inaccessible. And um, I think that's one of the joys of doing the industry focused show. Actually, is being able to spend fifteen or twenty minutes kind of explaining what these companies do. And um, kind of giving people a better sense just beyond the the name and what's going on with the stock price. And so, why should someone have exposure to the tech sector if it's so complicated and crazy and probably pretty volatile and risky too? I imagine to some extent, if there's these hot little tech stocks. Yeah, right? it is. Um, I will say that a lot of the big gains in the market have been driven by tech stocks. So you'll commonly hear the acronym FANG, which is Facebook. Uh, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. And uh, those stocks have performed incredibly well, as have a lot of other big tech names. Um, so they're driving a lot of the market's results. And you know, you think of tech as a growth 
kind of market, and it is um, obviously in a large bull market like we've been in for the last couple of years. Those companies have done very well. Um, so you obviously want to be diversified and have some more conservative plays, but uh, tech can offer your portfolio uh, some really awesome growth opportunities. It's easy to feel like your opportunity has already passed you by with a big tech company too, especially if you're not super tech savvy and you didn't get in on Amazon when it was seven dollars. How? How nervous should I be about that? I mean, I bought Amazon like maybe five years ago, and I felt like I was getting in too late. You're sitting pretty. Yeah, I actually am sitting pretty. Uh, and I then I bought like a million shares of Berkshire Hathaway. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know why I work here anymore. <laughs> I think um, I think one of the important things to realize with tech companies and and why they can command these really high valuations uh, is because a lot of them are so nimble, and so what they do now. Might not reflect what they are going to be doing in five years, or the way that they're making most of their money now might not reflect, uh, you know, what it's going to look like in the future. And I think two kind of high-profile examples of that are, you know, Netflix and what that business looks like now and what it looks like, you know, ten years ago. I've heard David Gardner talk about how just the name Netflix kind of cues you up to the idea that they were not like DVDs by mail company. You yeah. know, like their their name signaled that they were going to be fairly nimble and, and kind of move as people consume content differently. Um, so, so uh, there's different iterations of a lot of these businesses. Um, and then, I mean, Amazon's another great example. You you brought them up. Uh, people have thought about them as an e-commerce company for a really long time, but they have this segment, Amazon Web Services, which is infrastructure hosting all of that stuff that is a cash cow for them and and has just been printing money and people didn't really know how big it was until they started breaking it out a couple of years ago um, and and since have it's really proven to be a great opportunity for them and it will be something that will fuel a lot of growth and be able to you know give them an opportunity to plow cash back into the business so so with a lot of these companies that have already seen a ton of success um, you're seeing that they're, they're not too content with that and then they want to keep pushing the limits and they're they're investing in all these nascent technologies um, that everyone's got a self-driving car that self-driving they're working car on. <laughs> AI machine learning like you yeah. name it um, so they're always investing in new things and their businesses lend themselves very well to uh, kind of bringing those more nascent and emerging tech options kind of into the fold. All right, so you have come here to share with us three things that our listeners need to know before they start investing in tech. And the first one is, all right, you're gonna have to bear with me because I kind of went punt, went down the pun road for this pun street. I don't know. I can't wait. Yeah, they're gonna be awful. But okay, first one is that you've got to fight for your right to invest in tech stocks. So what was it? Wait, that was good. That was that was on note. Was, I think that was good. <laughs> it was close enough. All right. It's all about knowing your rights when you're an investor in tech stocks. I think, yeah, it's it, this is kind of what we were talking about a little bit before. Um, it, it's relevant to that conversation we were having about share classes. Uh, but I think it's something that is kind of worth reiterating because we're seeing more and more instances of non-voting shares in the tech space, and this is something that became really popular because of something that happened a couple of years ago. So Alphabet, then Google at the time, decided that they were going to have a stock split in 2012, and they announced it. And the idea there was every shareholder would receive one share as a dividend for each share they owned. So it would be a two for one split. The difference is uh, the shares stockholder received were non voting shares, and they were holding you know, shares that had one vote, most likely. And so it was very controversial at the time because people were saying, well, you're consolidating power for the insiders that have super voting shares that have like, you know, 10 votes or something like that. And you're giving founders like Larry Page and Sergey Brin the opportunity to maybe sell off some of their shares. And also preserve their control of the company. Um, there was <laughs> there were some lawsuits along the way, and it's something that eventually passed. And you know we now know that they have two different voting uh, share classes. But um, 
this is something that is going to kind of continue to come up again and again. It's something that Facebook announced that they had intentions of doing, um, although it is unclear if it's something that will actually wind up happening. But um, it's certainly something to keep an eye on there. And, and you look over at what happened when Snap IPO'd earlier in 2017, um, the company from the get-go issued non-voting shares. And that's the first time that a major company has ever done that in its first public issuance. Um, so, what you're seeing more and more is these share class structures that allow these founders and um, very often these pretty young CEOs to have total control over the business. And, and the reason that I think that's really important is, uh, as an investor, you have to buy into what that founder's vision of the company and direction for the company should be. And if you don't, you don't really have much recourse. And it indicates that that the founder is here to stay, right? Like they're not just looking to make a payday. They actually want to retain control of the company. Absolutely. And it is not something that is necessarily a bad thing. Like as I'm a Facebook shareholder, I want Mark Zuckerberg at the helm. I want him to be able to make the decisions that that he thinks are going to put the company in a great position for the next 10, 20 years because I know that's his vision. He's been really great in, you know, all of the uh, the conference calls and all of his commentary talking about this blueprint that he has. And so far, he's been excellent in executing. The stock's done very well. But um, you have to have the same buy-in that uh, and, and same belief in where things should be going that the founder does, or that the the CEO and the people that control most of the shares do, because they're going to be able to do pretty much whatever they want. Right. How much of this is due to basically trying to fend off activist investors? I mean, the big news now is Amazon buying Whole Foods. Before that happened, there was some of that going on with Whole Foods, and that outside investors were accumulating shares and trying to influence the company. I assume if you're the founder of the company, you'd prefer that not to happen. Um, so, is that part of it? Uh, I think that's that's a little bit of it. Um, I think I think you see with like Carl Icahn and and his stake in Apple, like he was a very vocal activist shareholder. Um, you know, granted, when you are as big as Apple is and you've been around as long, you don't you don't have the same flexibility. So, I think there are some founders that that see the nuisance that activist investors can be and say. I don't want to have to deal with that. Um, I, I know the vision that I have for this. I think also there's an element of it where, you know, this is their baby, right? This is this is the thing that they kind of brought into being and have kind of taken public, and they're, they're growing into these massive valuations, and they don't want to have to cede control to anybody. So, so that's a little bit of it, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Right. It, it always emphasizes to me that these are publicly traded companies, and the, the, to the to a certain degree, they're owned by the public, at least the people who own the shares. You're speaking about Apple, and if you haven't followed them from the beginning, you might not remember that at one point Steve Jobs got fired from Apple. Because in the end, once you go public, it's no longer your company, even if you own the majority of the shares. No, absolutely. And then they brought him back to and then save they the company back, from right? collapse. So, I mean, at please, one point, please, Steve. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like the, the stock dropped like 20% in one day back in 2000. It was not the. If, someone, if you talked to someone back then and said, by the way, Apple. In several years, is going to be the biggest company in the world. But people wouldn't have believed you. Oh, they would have laughed at you. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. The next thing that you need to know before you invest in tech stocks is IPO. More like IP no. Groan. That was a good one. <laughs> Thanks. These are the jokes, kids. All right. So yeah, tech is known for high flying IPOs. Absolutely. Um, yeah, very often tech companies are pretty highly followed before they even go public. You know, you have that class of unicorn companies, uh, you know, startups that have been around, grown to these massive valuations, and you know, part of that is just that they're companies that we use all the time. Like Airbnb is something that we're super familiar with. Lyft, Uber, these are all companies that we know very well, and they're kind of consumer facing. Um, so, so it's 
it's exciting being on the editorial side and being in the coverage side of this that there's so much fanfare and investor interest around these companies. I think something that people need to be aware of, though, is it's not necessarily great to buy into these IPOs immediately after they're available. Um, really, in recent history, a lot of tech IPOs have not performed all that well. So, uh, my guidance, and we can kind of run through some companies here uh, that kind of back this up, is to wait maybe six to 12 months after an issuance before seriously considering buying into it. Um, so, looking at three of the biggest tech IPOs from 2016, you have LineCorp, Nutanix, and Twilio. And none of these companies are currently trading above where they ended their first day on the public markets. And as a reminder, the S&P 500 is up since every one of their issuances. So broad market has done fairly well. Um, like I said, we've you know been in a bull market for quite some time now, and yet all of these companies are down. Uh, some of that is there's this kind of pent up demand for these companies when they go public, and uh, so shares get bid up to these extreme valuations, and then you know they kind of have to. Come back down to reality a little bit as the business posts, you know, quarterly results and you know, management provides commentary. Um, one of the reasons that I say people should probably wait six months, maybe twelve months, uh, is really because ultimately the company decides when it's going public, and and I think that's an important thing to remember. So management is choosing when they are selling shares, and they're going to do it at a time when the business results look pretty good, right? I mean, they want to be able to command top dollar for. Part ownership of this business. At the end of the day, an IPO is a capital raising event. So they're doing a service to their own company by raising capital at the highest valuation they can. It gives them more cash to work with. So there's that side of it. I think also you want to just have a couple quarters of numbers to look at. And so, you know, if you start seeing a troubling trend in the prospectus that the company files, um, you might want a couple more quarters of updates before you really are decided that, okay, you know, margins are going to stay where they are, or, you know, user growth is going to continue and that was just a minor blip. And uh, and so you know just waiting a little while and kind of letting them weather the first couple months of being a publicly traded company and the scrutiny that comes with that um, can kind of give you that insight. And ideally, here at the Molly Fool, we believe in holding stocks for three, five, ten years forever. So what's a few months yeah. really in the grand scheme of things? And you look at you know I mentioned that Facebook's been such a great stock to own, but. Facebook largely foundered for the first year that it was a publicly traded company. Um, and it wasn't until a little bit more than a year out from its IPO that the business results really started to back up its valuation and investors kind of saw things take off. So, so even a wildly successful company kind of follows this rule. The guy who I think is most known for research on IPOs is a professor named J.A. Ritter at University of Florida. And if I'm recalling correctly, it's pretty clear that the three year holding a period after a company goes public. On average, the an IPO will underperform the market. It's generally better to wait to see what's going to happen to the company. All right, and the third thing you need to know before you invest in a tech stock is to please mind the gap. That was a good one. Hey, thanks. By which we mean the acronym for Generally Accepted Accounting Principles. And here's where I think I'm going to have to like nudge bro every now and then. <laughs> I don't know. You guys stay Were you awake? talking? What? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk generally accepted accounting principles. <laughs> Riveting stuff, Woo! right? Um, the this is important, I think, because the tech space is kind of notorious for its fun with numbers approach to accounting. So all public companies have to submit financials uh, that are put together using the GAAP approach. Um, and the idea there is, these are reporting standards that all companies that are publicly traded have to comply with for regulatory purposes. And really, they help. Investors and everyday people just make kind of apples to apples comparisons on companies and just kind of understand what's going into the numbers that they're seeing. On top of that, companies can offer non GAAP numbers. And so these are financials that are not GAAP compliant, but the company might feel that it helps illustrate what's going on with their business. And very often, because they are high growth and unprofitable companies, 
tech companies will report gap and non-gap numbers in their quarterly results. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think it's just important to understand which one is which and why the company might be doing that. Okay. And so, just an example that kind of help illustrate it. Uh, Twitter lost $62 million last quarter, if you're looking at gap financials. But the company focuses on a metric that they like to tout adjusted EBITDA, which was positive $170 million. So you say, how? Like, you know, that's, that's $230 million swing, right? Um, that $170 million figure is a non GAAP number, and it excludes things like stock based compensation, uh, which was $117 million during the quarter. Wow. Uh, there's debate about how people should treat stock based compensation uh, for accounting purposes, but for GAAP, <laughs> you need to include it as an expense. Um, and stock based compensation is particularly important in tech because a lot of firms use it to uh, bake it into the compensation packages. And, uh, you know, like they are high growth businesses, and it's a good way to provide compensation and equity for people. Um, but it, it comes at an expense, and, and businesses need to recognize that. So, just kind of taking a second to look at gap versus non gap numbers for companies that you're interested in, and the reconciliation there can be really helpful. Where should someone go to get all up on their gap <laughs> education to learn more about gap? Um, you'll hear companies go through it in their conference calls very oh, often. So they'll, so say they'll, this they'll is, okay. Yeah, they'll talk about their gap numbers and they'll talk about their non-gap numbers. Very often, analysts will ask questions that poke at kind of the difference, so you can get some of that there. But um, they also have to put out reconciliations. And so, uh, Twitter, for example, on their investor relations page has their slides that reconcile how you get from that net loss number to that positive EBITDA number. So. Um, for regulatory purposes, they have to make that available. Okay, so just dig a little little farther, and you'll find it. Yep. All right. Well, those are three things that investors need to know before they invest in tech stocks. Uh, let's close out this conversation by giving us a stock to watch. I think one of the most interesting stocks to watch in tech in 2017 is Snap. Um, no, this, su no this surprise is controversial. there. Controversial. Yeah, no surprise there, um, and it, it's for a couple different reasons. So I am not super bullish on Snap. Based on its current valuation, I think it's it's super rich and it has a lot to live up to. Um, but the company is doing a lot of interesting things uh, in the augmented reality space, and and I think it'll be kind of cool to see how users interact with that and how that might shape what's going on with some of the other social media firms out there. Um, for me, it's also kind of interesting to see what happens there because their interface looks a lot more like Facebook Messenger than it does Facebook's core property. And and the next frontier for Facebook to monetize is Messenger and WhatsApp. And so seeing how Snapchat can kind of you know make money off of people sending each other images and, and texts and things like that might kind of give you a an idea of what success might look like for some of these other platforms uh, that won't be broken out for financial purposes because Facebook is so large. Wonderful. Thanks. Uh, you're going to stick around and help us talk about some of the most ridiculous names in tech startup history. Sound I'd be good? happy to. Thanks. Great. Additional support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that sit, which I always think that's so presumptuous of them to think that we really are that confident in our hobbies and our life and our work, but cool. <laughs> Personally, I'm a basket case. So. <laughs> I know. Ask TSA. Watched you walk by them a few months ago. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com/fool. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLS consumeraccess.org number 3030. Hey. Nice. <laughs> it's almost like I've done those reads. Start 
well known for their ridiculous names that really don't tell you a thing about the company. What about those good old days of pets.com? It's a dot com for pets. How could it possibly fail? <laughs> so, what's in a name? We're going to test your smarts. You have to guess what some of the most poorly named tech startups in history actually do. Or did, as the case may be. So, the first one we're going to talk about so, is... So, just to make this clear, you're yeah. going to give us names. We don't know. These you are actual companies. These are actual companies. Okay. You're going to guess what they do. And then, bonus, you get to guess whether it's still in business after I tell you what it actually does. Uh, okay. Okay? All right. All right. The first one is Spunkle. S-H-P-O-O-N-K-L-E. Who wants to go first? Spunkle. So I have I have a serious guess. Okay. And I have a joke. Okay. I, <laughs> mine, are all, mine are all ridiculous. So uh, I I'm gonna guess it's a messaging app. Okay. Or or something along those lines. It's a communication company maybe. Like, oh, I got a spunkle from Bro. <laughs> exactly. Okay. But it also sounds like a new utensil competitor to the spork. Oh. Uh, See, I was thinking it could be like um, Uber, but for cuddling. <laughs> oh, that's so funny! I said it's a company. <laughs> it's a company that makes robots that will hold you at night. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody come spunkle me. Right? <laughs> Affirmative. I'm going I'm to guess Comment still spunkling. in business. Okay, well, let me tell you what it is, and then okay. you can guess whether it's still... So, you're, you're surprised. You're both wrong. Uh, it's actually a, rev- too bad. a reverse auction site for lawyers and legal services. So, you basically say, hey, I need a lawyer to help me do blank, and then you would get different lawyers bidding on how much they would charge you to do it. It was founded in 2011. The founder of the company told VentureBeat, Spunkle is a funny word. It brings a smile to your face, and it's definitely something that you will remember. So, bonus, is it in business still or not? It makes sense to me, so why not? Yeah, hearing the business, I think it's a good business. <laughs> I'm not sure like about that. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if the name makes sense, but it's a good business. Uh, no, sadly, oh. it, it, did not, it did not last. Really? Um, yeah, despite... A huge amount of hype with stories in the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere. It closed shop in 2014, just three years later. Uh, but no worries, the next contender is Law Tender, but it's like bartender, but law, and then there's no e in the er. Anyway, whatever. Oh, so is there Law Tender? Is that a, it's been, a different thing. <laughs> that might also work. Oh, let's get going. Write that down. Write that down. <laughs> law Tender. Okay, next one is Doostang. D o o s t a n g. Doostang. Gosh, I went first last time. Uh, an autonomous self-driving dune buggy. Oh, okay. That's good. Thank That's you. not bad. Thank I, you very much. I'm gonna say it's it's somehow like hairstyling related. Oh, I like your do. Yeah, it's like a Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So it's uh, you're both wrong, of course. <laughs> it's a job search website focusing mostly on, from what I could tell, finance and consulting. So, bonus question, is it still in business? Yes. I'm going to say no, just because I've never heard it before. Okay, yes, it is. <laughs> what does that mean, ha. right? So, Dylan got a point. <laughs> okay, so this one is going to be hard for me to, to say. Um, big Tuts. B-I-G, next word, T-U-T-S. Uh, if I pronounce it a different way, it might give you a hint on what they do. So... But let's see what your initial guess is. Big Tuts. Huh. T-U-T-S. It's uh, an extra large tunic and loincloth company. <laughs> That's good. 
for the pl- for the plus size toga party <laughs> for the husky man oh. take a big and tall yeah <laughs> you got that he- you got to get that hem just right okay uh well as we know king tut's parents were probably siblings so i think it's a dna analysis service to see how related your parents are to each other <laughs> okay all right, so if I pronounce it, you're both wrong. Uh, do I need to say that? Uh, if I pronounce it big toots, does that help? Is that that charcoal underwear? So it's, it's a marketplace for selling online tutorials. Big tuts. Oh, so, gotcha. bonus, is it still in business? No. I'm going to say no. It's it's not in So, despite changing their name to Contento, uh, they ended up uh, going out of business. So, Mm. what are you going to do? All right. The next one is Zobni, and it's spelled X O B N I. I'm going to guess that it has something to do with sleep. Maybe maybe it's an app that adjusts the colors on your screen so it's like warmer at night, Mm -hmm. or, or maybe it's like a sleep monitoring app or something like that. I'm going to say that it's a company that'll make all your electronic devices and the internet safe for your children, except for the mild electronic shock it gives the kids when they've been using the devices for too long. It has nothing to do with the name. It's just something I hope someone invents at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true father. Yes. There you go. Yes. Uh, okay, so what if I were to tell you that Zobni is inbox backwards? Oh. It helps. Oh. It helps you clear out your inbox. So they did software applications for Microsoft Outlook back in the day. So is it still running? Is this is Zobni still in business? Does that does it clear out your inbox, or is it just related to email management? Of Somehow some related to email management. Software applications for Microsoft Outlook. Yeah, sure. If they got bought by Microsoft, I'm maybe say, it's just in there somewhere. I'm going to say no, just to be contrary to Dylan. So you know what. It it doesn't exist, but it did get bought by Yahoo. Huh? Yahoo, of course, uh, it was acquired by Yahoo in 2013 for 60 million and shut down a year later. That's so Yahoo. Uh, other weirdly named acquisitions Yahoo has made: Kelku, Medio, Wretch, Zupit, Yoyodyne, Pitch. But there's no value, so maybe vowels. So maybe it's pronounced Pitch, Patch, Putch, Patch. I don't know. So it doesn't it doesn't exist anymore. But because it was bought out, so there we go. And with a final score, oh yeah, with a final score of. Did you actually keep score? I don't know. You know, I don't really I do need. a great job of this. I think Dylan won. Sure, Woo. I'm gonna say Dylan won too. Oh, all right, Dylan. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, it's been great. We have fun on this show. You guys do have fun. And if you listeners want to learn more about investing in tech and just want to hear more from Dylan, then Friday's episodes of Industry Focus are for you. So head on over and and get some. What are you going to be talking about this week's episode? What are you going to be talking about? You know, I'm not sure yet. Okay. (laughs) Something tech-oriented. We like to kind of fly by the seat of our pants, see if any news comes up that might be interesting. Ah, the old news fairy. The news fairy that you're looking for. You never know when Amazon's going to buy something, you know? Yeah. Okay, let's hope. (laughs) I'm, I'm rooting for you. So today we have a special guest in the studio who's going to come in and help us with our disclaimer because I think all the best legal advice comes from nine-year-olds, and that's Katie, who's visiting today with her dad James to watch us tape the episode, and we're super excited to have her come in and tape our disclaimer for us. As always, people 
On the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. That's the show. Hey, I want to thank Ben, who sent a postcard in from Talkeetna, Alaska. And it's a postcard of the mayor of Talkeetna, Stubbs, uh, which is a cat. I would say that's a tabby cat. So Stubbs, according to Ben, St- Mayor Stubbs, the cat, has been the mayor of Talkeetna since 1997. And uh, Talkeetna, for those of you who don't know, is the starting port for climbers trying to ascend Denali. So thank you, Ben. And for those of you who uh, are dying to send me a postcard because I know you are, uh, please send them on in. Our address is 2000 Duke Street, second floor, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. Uh, if you can beat a mayor cat, then I would like to see it, because this postcard is breathtaking. Um, the show is edited technically by Rick Engdahl. If you want to send us an email, ask a question yourself, you can send it to answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp and Dylan Lewis, didn't say Dylan Thomas, even though I wanted to. <laughs> I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody.